Hi, this is Mark Zickley, and welcome to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The show that helped Commander Riker get a leg up on the chair sitting competition. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 86. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins Team Animorphs in the battle versus an army of parasitic aliens who are slowly infiltrating Earth, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his fur coat. And now, a word from our show sponsor, Level Up Savers. Their link can be found in the show notes. So our guest today is a writer, producer, and director with credits on shows like Babylon 5, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, uh, the Sliders, Space Command, and so many more. We are very excited and very proud to welcome Mark Sickery to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, guys. Glad to be here. Right off the bat, the first thing that I want to talk to you about uh, is Star Trek. Now, at 45 years of age, which is where I am, I am pretty new to the fandom. I I have been a Star Wars fan my entire life and kind of always poo-pooed the Trek and put it on the back burner. May have made fun of it from time to time. I'm not positive. But I am thoroughly loving and enjoying the new series, Strange New Worlds. Yes. And that has led me to watch the original series. And I've just recently started that, and I'm probably about four or five episodes into that. So for you, as a younger man, what was it about Star Trek that drew you in and but keeps you coming back to Trek all these years later. Yeah, well, you know, I think that um, if you're a science fiction kind of person, the most uh, powerful impressions are often when you're youngest. And so anyone who was like a kid or a teenager when Star Wars came out, that's going to be it for them. And uh, I was 10 when the original Star Trek debuted. So that was like, you know, I, I often say other people had heroin, I've got Star Trek. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was because, um, you know, there were so many sort of very... Um, uh, less wonderful science fiction shows that had come before, like Lost in Space, things like that, where you got a sense that, that there was a potential there, but it was not fully realized. And uh, of course, I was a fan of Twilight Zone as a kid, but but when Star Trek came on, it was just so astonishing and wonderful. And, uh, you know, every week, that first season particularly, it was just, you know, uh, doing stories that no one had ever uh, even contemplated before in television. Mm -hmm. And, and the cast was terrific. Everyone on it was very, very, very solid. And of course, Kirk Spock McCoy had a great um, chemistry. And so I, at 10, recorded every episode on reel-to-reel -reel audio tape just in case the show never aired again. And because uh, they didn't have VCRs when I was a kid. Right. Uh, and I was very lucky when I was a child when the show was running to meet Michelle Nichols and go on the Star Trek set. And uh, and when I was uh, three, 13, I think, I read The Making of Star Trek, and that that made me want to be a writer-producer in television. So that set me on the path I've been on pretty much ever since. So, uh, so that was my first um, uh, experience of Star Trek uh, early on. Excellent. That's okay. so cool. 
So you mentioned that whatever was the sci-fi when you were a kid is what sets the tone for your sci-fi. I grew up watching Deep Space Nine. Like that Uh, was our family's weekly television routine is that we watched the new episodes of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And I learned that one of the best episodes of the series, Far Beyond the Stars, when Mm -hmm. Cisco finds himself living in a world or living the life of a science fiction writer in the 1950s, is actually based off of a story that you wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting because I actually outlined... uh, uh, the story and uh, and then the only reason I didn't write the script was because I was a, a producer on Sliders at the time. It took them an entire year to buy Far Beyond the Stars uh, from when I pitched it, and uh, I was writing two Sliders episodes back to back that were going into production immediately. And I Robert wanted to fast track Far Beyond the Stars because he knew it was going to be a landmark episode of, of Star Trek, and uh, he wanted to schedule it during what was called sweeps weeks, when the ratings sure. of the show that week determines the advertising mm-hmm. rates they can charge. And uh, so I said, "Look, Ira, you know I wasn't ever cut off its story on any show I was writing, and uh, and I was a producer at Universal at the time." And I said to Ira, I called Ira, and I said, "Look, I I want to write the script," and he said, "If you quit your job on Sliders." You can write the script, and I actually considered it for about ninety seconds, and because it was, I, we all knew it was going to be a classic episode, uh, right. but uh, but I couldn't leave my guys on sliders in the lurch. They really would have been, um, you know, uh, screwed. And uh, so I um, but I just knew that I, Ira and and Hans Beimler, who was a, f- a former boss of mine, uh, did, did the draft, and it followed very much the uh, the outline I wrote, and. Uh, you know, but it was, it, we all knew even before I wrote it that it was going to be one of the great Star Trek episodes. So where did that original, where did the story idea come from for you? Well, you know, it's fun because as I mentioned, when I was a kid, uh, Star Trek debuted and I noticed that the people writing for Star Trek, Theodore Sturgeon, Harlan Ellison, uh, George Clayton Johnson, uh, all, you know, a lot of the writers who were writing for the original Twilights on the original Outer Limits and the original Star Trek were the same people. And also, they were writing the books I was reading at the time because I was a science fiction fan from when I was, you know, f- as far back as I can remember. So I was reading Heinlein and Sturgeon and Ray Bradbury and Harlan Ellison and all these people. And so I realized that, you know, th- there was a real crossover between the novels, between novels and, and TV and film. And so uh, as soon as I was old enough, like 15 years old, 16 years old, I started going to science fiction conventions and seeking out these writers and they became mentors and friends to me. And uh, and so when I was a, a teenager, I went to the Clarion Writers Workshop, sold my first short story and then came back and, and Theodore Sturgeon, the great Star Trek writer and science fiction writer was uh, teaching a class. And I took that class and Ted became a great mentor and friend. And I realized from me, knowing these writers and knowing their history that, that they, they basically were the first generation of modern science fiction writers and they were writing it for the love of it. And they were initially were writing for the pulp magazines for like a penny a word, five cents a word back in the, you know, fifties, forties and fifties. And, uh, and there wouldn't be a star Trek or a star Wars if not for those writers. And so Mm -hmm. I very much wanted to show that world there. It it had never been shown uh, on television in any way. And, uh, and so I wanted to show how, why those people were important, why science fiction was important. And I wanted to show that um, that the way you create a future is first envisioning that future. And um, and Harlan, Harlan Ellison had, had done a great recording. He did a little hour cassette recording uh, talking about what it was like to write back then. And he mentioned that when you're writing for that low amount of money, you always, always were hustling. And that what you did was a certain day each week, the editors would get the cover paintings of the stories for the magazine before they assigned the story that illustrated that cover. 
often. So Harlan would rush over to the editor on that day trying to beat out the other writers and, and just extol the virtues, the wonders of this amazing painting so he could get the assignment. And he, and he mentioned that, that the worst one, the one that was the hardest was, it was a, it was a painting of, a cover painting of a, of a woman sunbathing on a New York uh, rooftop. And there was a gig giant um, grasshopper peering over the lip of the building at her. And I actually have that, that issue. I sought it out. And, uh, and so that kind of gave me the idea of, of Deep Space Nine as, a, as an image on a magazine cover. And, the, and then as the story evolved and it became about race, you know, that came from the conversations with Ira and Ron Moore and the rest of the staff. Um, then it was then it was obvious how how it would go. And it was about writing your truth and the cost of writing your truth, but the importance of writing that truth, because writing that truth creates that future. And so, um, you know, so that and so we so I, we all knew that it was going to be a profoundly important um, Star Trek episode. That's awesome. It is it is legitimately one of my favorites. It is Thanks. such a cool episode. Well, thank you. But the fun part was that when I um, when I uh, first read this, the Deep Space Nine pilot script, when it was actually it was Ensign Rowe rather than uh, Nana Visitor, she wasn't. Uh, uh, they were going to have a completely different character in that role. Um, I saw the when I saw the pilot episode, I was blown away by Armin Shimmerman as Quark, and Les Landau, who was a director on DS9, uh, was doing a pilot with me. And I said, I want to meet that guy, that Armin Shimmerman. So Les took me onto the DS9 sets, and there was Armin in the whole, he called it Ferengi drag, you know, the whole nine yards of the <laughs> and, uh, and we just hit it off immediately. And so I've used Armin in a number of, of projects, including Space Command. He's in the new show that I'm doing. And, Excellent. Uh, awesome. And he's phenomenal. He's wonderful. We've uh, we had the opportunity to talk with Armin a little while back and absolutely, absolutely loved having him on the show. That was uh, like a childhood dream come true, getting yeah. to meet Armin Shimmerman. <laughs> he's terrific. He's terrific. And, he uh, is. you know, he's uh, he's a wonderful actor. And and I just um, am so honored to have gotten to know him and and, and work with him. So a slight deviation from Star Trek. One sure. of the book series that I enjoyed as a kid was Animorphs. Mm. So how do you go about writing a series or what is involved in taking a book series and turning it into a TV show? It was an it was an interesting challenge. I uh, I hadn't heard of Animorphs before. They were looking for a writer to adapt it into a series, and so they flew me to New York, and I met with Scholastic. And at the same time, I had just interviewed to be a producer, a writer producer on Sliders. So I actually ended up doing both jobs simultaneously, uh, which was quite a quite a feat. And uh, <laughs> also, I was writing a novel at the time, so it was <laughs> it, I was that was a busy year. But um, the, what I did was I read, I, they gave me 15 of the novels to read and I liked them very much. I thought that, that K.A. Applegate uh, really did a good job. The mm -hmm. problem was I wasn't a producer on the show and I knew that it was gonna be a nightmare from a production standpoint, having kids turn into all these different animals, really a challenge. And so, so I, was, I didn't know if they'd be able to pull it off, frankly. But what I tried to do was I tried to, I, so what I did was I laid out a year of the show and I did all the outlines and I wrote several scripts to kind of set the template. I think I wrote three or four. And um, and I was trying to basically take what I thought would be the best um, elements to be able to do because what you lose, which is a very strong piece of the of the books is the point of view from the kids as they're being the animals, mm -hmm. as they're experiencing those that change of their senses and abilities. And that was something you really wouldn't be able to have effectively in a TV show. So, um, but but frankly, um, you know, in a way, it was almost like building a car and letting someone drive it off a cliff. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's like I had no idea what what was going to come out the other end. But um, but literally, I was because I had contracted to write all the outlines. 
I would get to you to my office at Universal at six in the morning, write an outline for Animorphs, finish it by 10, fax it. This is the days of faxes to New York and then then switch over to my sliders job. So it was, um, you know, so that's how I, how I was working uh, for quite some time. And, uh, but, but I really liked, I mean, I wouldn't have taken the job on Animorphs if I didn't cue into the material and I did, I liked it very much. Um, it was uh, really, I mean, you could tell that she had a passion for the subject. This is before Harry Potter. And so Scholastic had all these different properties that were popular, but didn't take off the way that Harry Potter did. But you got, but you got a sense that they were hiring writers who weren't just phoning it in, who were really looking, who were really heart and soul into the material. And so I mm -hmm. wanted to honor that in the show, but I, but I was very aware that I was um, writing in a different medium that had different requirements and different um, strengths. And so uh, that, that was how I went about it, yeah. Excellent. All right, so Mark, let's talk about your most recent project, the one you, you've referenced a couple different times uh, yes. so far. Let's talk about Space Command. Yes. So for those who aren't familiar with Space Command, can you take a couple minutes to talk to us about the show, sure. how it began, and, yeah. and who all's on the cast that people should be looking out for? Yes, it's, um, it's, a, it's essentially a few years ago, I noticed that science fiction, television in general, but science fiction in particular, was taking a very dark turn. And a lot of shows were very, very, very dark. Battlestar Galactica, I, I loved that show, but it was my, you know, no one, couldn't they get, have, let someone have a birthday party once in a while? And, uh, you know, it was just very dark. And so... Um, <laughs> You know, so I, 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 can't, I wanted to do a show that would be inspiring, like the original Star Trek inspired me. I mean, people forget that the original Star Trek was made during the Vietnam War and during the, the riots, cities were burning, civil rights was going on. People were, you know, it was, a, it was a very, very intense and divisive time, but Gene Roddenberry still had the courage and the, and the insight to say, we can create a better future. We can reach across boundaries and barriers. We can reach out with compassion and action and make a world worth living in for ourselves and our children. This was a, and, and this was an important real world message because people went on to, to become teachers and scientists and raise families and devote themselves to their communities. They were inspired by that message. It was not just disposable entertainment as most, most television and movies are. And so I wanted to do something that was inspiring in that same way without being through rose colored glasses or, you know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't want it to be easy uh, easy uh, to do to create that that future I wanted to say there are costs to doing that it isn't you know when you when you uh, when you go against uh, the powers that be it there are costs and mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my friends are showrunners and uh, they wanted to, to team with me and take it in and get a pilot deal but I said you know well no I mean I don't want it to be cut off at script or cut off at pilot or possibly have the network or studio notes ruin it, you know, like put in a stupid robot or a kid or a dog or whatever. I mean, yeah, there are science fiction stories that do those things very effectively, but there's also, we all know shows where that were ruined by network notes. And uh, so I, I'd never raised money before, but I run a round table for writers and directors and actors and producers. I've been mentoring people, thousands of people for decades. Uh, my round table is free of charge. It's just something I've been doing to, uh, create a compassionate Hollywood. And, uh, and I've been hearing about crowdfunding. And I thought, well, I've never raised money before, but let me see if I can. And so between crowdfunding and selling investment shares for 7,500 bucks each in Space Command, I was able, so far I've raised three and a half million dollars and it's still- Oh, going. wow. So, um, so, we, um, so that gave me the money to, uh, to open my own studio. And this is the first two hour episode of Space Command, and it, uh, we're about to ship these out. We're finishing the first two hours with color correction and all that. We're shooting hour six now, 
and uh, and we, we've written the entire 12 hour season and we're going to be shooting the entire season this year. That's our, 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 our goal. And um, so Space Command stars um, Doug Jones of Star Trek Discovery, Mira mm -hmm. Furlan, Mira Furlan, whom we lost, sadly. Uh, during the pandemic, but um, Mira Furlan of, and Bill Mumy and Bruce Boxleitner of Babylon 5, Bob Picardo of um, Star Trek Voyager, and um, Armin Shimmerman and, uh, of DS9, and Christina Moses of um, uh, A Million Little Things, and uh, Ethan Phillips of, uh, of uh, Star Trek Voyager, and um, oh God, just a ton of other actors. I mean, a lot of uh, James Hong of Blade Runner and Big Trouble oh, in yeah. China. And Ferran Tahir, who was in JJ's first Star Trek movie, he's also an Iron Man, on and on. I mean, just everyone I, I reach out to says yes. Uh, Barbara Bain is in it from uh, Space 1999 and Mission Impossible. You know, just, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, just everyone I reach out to says yes. And uh, so we, I have my own studio here. We're based here and in London, here in Los Angeles and in London as well. And, uh, you know, it's a dream come true. I've, I'm, we're building two nine foot tall creatures right now. We, we have an alien spaceship set that, we're, that we've, we're completing now. And I just went to a swap meet and bought a jet, a, P, a, P, a P33 canopy from an airplane uh, that we'll be using as part of, uh, part of the show. It'll become a spacecraft and uh, we'll put people in it and it's gonna be, you know, too cool for school. And, That's uh, awesome. <laughs> but but then beyond that, I'm creating five other series with my friends who are the creators of Farscape and The Expanse and Defiance. All these friends of mine who, uh, and and a, a new Rod Sterling series. So we're doing a slate of six shows that include Space Command called the Showrunners Network. So we're going to be shooting all those pilots over the next few months as well. So it's um and and Gates McFadden and Veronica Cartwright and tons of other actors are in in those shows as well. So you know it's it's great fun. It sounds like it. Yeah, well, my wife and I write and direct and produce together. And uh, so we write it, we cast it, we shoot it. And, and I have my own YouTube channel, Mr. Sci-Fi. So we're able to put it out to our audience. And on the first, I put out the first hour of, of uh, Space Command on Mr. Sci-Fi. We've had over 3 million views and 97% mm -hmm. thumbs up. So that's better than most TV shows get. I, so, I was one of those views today. Yay. So. <laughs> yeah, I was... I did. I was I was enjoying it. So I, I stumbled across your YouTube channel and I was like, oh, well, look at that. Oh, well, look at that. Oh, yeah. So yeah. and the great thing about your your channel, um, your Mr. Sci-Fi channel is that you talk about a variety of sci-fi things. It's you yeah. know, you've there is notes on there about Strange New World. There there was some stuff about the new Batman movie. Yeah. Uh, there was, you know, all kinds of different stuff. So it was kind of nice to see that it was a variety of stuff, not just one one right. particular topic. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I'm, I'm very uh, cognizant of that because, you know, growing up in the world of science fiction and having known and been mentored by so many of the great science fiction writers like Ray Bradbury and Ted Sturgeon, you know, it's like, and also I wrote The Twilight Zone Companion, which was the book I wrote right out of college to learn how to make television. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I've been writing TV since I was 22 or 23. So I, I have a lot of behind the scenes kind of stories and information about all these shows. I mean, the people making these shows, I mean, Doug Jones is in Star Trek Discovery, you know, Brandon Braga, you know, who I worked with on on the Star Trek Next Generation and, and, and the later shows, I mean, he's on the Orville. I mean, these are people I'm still very much in contact with. And, you know, mm -hmm. so, and so, I, so I try to be fair in my commentaries, but also not, I don't, I was gonna say, I don't pull my punches. In other words, if, if Star Trek Discovery is not what it might be, I, I go into why I think it's not what it might be. I think Strange New Worlds is much stronger. I think it's, it has, it hasn't had the great, brilliant episode yet but it's had three i guess four now 
episodes that were certainly solid and and you know so so if you look at original star trek episodes like corbin corbin might maneuver or sort of not sort of like the a minus ones <laughs> strange mm-hmm. world been doing those they haven't had a city on the edge of forever yet they haven't had far beyond the stars yet but i think they probably will well you know for me being a, the new guy i would say that the first four episodes of strange new worlds have been very strong yes uh, very well written very well acted yes um you know, and, I, and I've made this comment on our, we have a, every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time, we have a live show that we do. And one of those nights we talked about Strange New Worlds. And I, for me, the only difficulty that I'm having wrapping my head around anything that's going on in this show is Ethan Peck as Spock because he has such a deep voice. And he, he does Spock very well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's a phenomenal actor. And I think he does a wonderful job. But, you know, I'm used to, you know, Leonard Nimoy or, you know, uh, and then there's this guy and yeah he's he's not he he's not exactly hard on the eyes no. uh and here he is with this big deep voice and and i'm like okay yeah. that's and, not and, this is not yeah. your grandmother's spock so it's true uh, unlike unlike leonard nimoy you never got to see Nemo, leonard nimoy in his underwear but spock yeah <laughs> You know, very hunky Spock, I must say. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's, it's interesting because when I was a kid and Spock, I encountered Spock for the first time. The first time I was aware of Spock was they had this painting that James Bama did of the of Kirk and Spock and the Enterprise f- zooming around a planet. It was a piece of still artwork that they used to promote the show before it aired. They said, coming in the fall, Star Trek, and it would be on for like 10 seconds. And I, I looked at it close. I looked for it, you know, right, put my face right up against the screen and say, is that, does that other guy have the pointed ears? I mean, what's that story? Is it green skin, pointed ears? And so when Spock came on, he was so different and so distinctive and so mm-hmm. interesting. Um, Ethan Peck's Spock hasn't for me yet had those moments that make him that kind of breakthrough character i like him very much i think he's very solid but um but you know i'm waiting for the for the great spock episode that he'll have you know it's it's a little weird when they sort of pull out well there's a sister we never mentioned her in 50 years of star trek but but you have a sister and she's on this other show you know it's like okay okay you know but sure. that's like when they said spock had a brother for one movie star trek five and it's like and then he's gone you know it's like they never talk about him again you know so <laughs> Well, but, that didn't work. He's not coming back. Yeah. But so. Star Trek, But one thing about Strange New Worlds, one thing I'll say about all three of the, the live action shows, the new live action shows, they look gorgeous. I mean, mm-hmm. the production design, the level of, of production, the the visual effects, I mean, the costumes, I mean, yeah, everything's really great. And uh, and the thing about Strange New Worlds is that that cast is very, is very strong. There's a lot of really wonderful actors and actresses in that in that show. So I, I'm it's the only show I know of where the pilot was shot in 1964 and the show was picked up in 2021. And so that's, that's quite amazing. And uh, cause I, I always loved that first Star Trek pilot with uh, Jeffrey Hunter. I thought it was terrific. So I think that fans of science fiction these days are borderline spoiled on how much, <laughs> how much content we're getting. There's the new Star Treks, there's new Star Wars, there's comic books, there's fantasy novels, there's role-playing games, there's Funko Pops. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> yes, I hear, I hear, I hear about that. There is just a constant supply of new or remade Star Wars, Star yeah. Trek, sci-fi f- content. Mm-hmm. So, what is your go-to these days for your sci-fi fix? That's a really interesting uh, question. Um, first of all, yeah, I mean, it's 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 so different. From when I was growing up, when you had basically three networks and that was it, you know, if, if they canceled Star Trek or I, I was actually outside with a picket sign outside NBC picketing for a third season of Star Trek. So we would get that third season, you know, with my little sign and, you know, so forth. And back in the day in, in 1968, I guess, or 67. But um, 
and and now of course you know you not only do you have you know all these networks you've got you know 500 plus scripted comedy and drama series not including youtube not including all these outliers you know mm -hmm. and uh, so so the main the main challenge is is finding the good stuff quote unquote and 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 not having enough time to watch everything you know obviously and so I mean, I'm watching Strange New Worlds. Uh, I was watching Raised by Wolves, but that got too peculiar. And uh, I like Station Eleven, you know, but again, you're never going to be able to watch all of it. And so you have to sort of right. pick and choose. I think the interesting thing about Star Trek and Star Wars is now that they're you know, these huge corporate entities and, uh, you know, now they're viewed as as money making machines. And the, the, right. there's a but the good part is that they've sort of moved to the level of Tarzan or Sherlock Holmes or something like that, where you'll have bad versions and then they'll have good versions and it's kind of like so if you don't like the current version of star wars well wait a few years and there'll be another one that's better or whatever you know it's like that's right. where it's going now and so we had to we had to go we had to you know suffer through picard and star trek discovery to get to strange new worlds which you know kind of went full circle back to the original notion and kind of came out right and so you know but but um in terms of so in terms of of movies you know, I go to all the ones that, you know, get good reviews and so forth. And every now and then I'll go to a cheesy one that I like, like Moonfall, you know, which is a bad movie, but a fun, bad movie by my lights. And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the moon's going to crash into the earth. Incredible. And so, but, um, but in terms of books, I'm always reading uh, several books simultaneously. So I'm reading uh, science fiction. I'll usually be reading a newer science fiction book, an older science fiction book, a mainstream fiction book and a history or and or science book. Uh, so um, so in terms of the newer books, I very much like The Martian uh, by Andy Weir, and I've been reading the Murderbot books. And I just whatever someone um, recommends to me, I'll, I'll I'll at least check out. And then um, and then I'll read some of the old classics just kind of to to see you know if I still like them and if they still work by my lights. And um, you know, and I'm always reading and studying up on physics and, and history and all that stuff, just because that feeds the, you know, the writer machine. And, and also I'm fascinated by all of it. I just finished reading uh, Project Hail Mary by Andy uh, Weir. Yeah. It that was, one was, go ahead, yeah. please. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. It was a change of pace for me. Yeah, it was, um, I, I thought it was, it was good, but not as good as The Martian, you know? And mm -hmm. the funny thing is, that they, one of my favorite movies as a kid was a movie called Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Oh yeah, and and the the idea of someone marooned on Mars has been uh, with us many a time. This is called mm -hmm. First on Mars, and it's about a guy who gets marooned on Mars. And so, uh, so that I, I thought that was a very good book and made into a very good movie. And uh, you know, and uh, I've been in touch with Andy Weir since that point. But uh, you know, it's like there's lots of room for uh, for wonderful stories, and mm -hmm. and and it's certainly. In terms of production, it's a golden age of science fiction. I mean, the money they're throwing at it. I mean, with Sandman being 15 million and Star Trek's up over 10 million an episode, you know, what we're doing on Space Command, considering the fact that our first two hours have 1,900 visual effect shots, you know, we're, we're doing it for a lot less than they are. But, uh, you know, one has to be very ingenious. But, um, but, but I, I just, you know, you, you try to find the stuff that's, that's of quality. And so you'll, you'll look, be on the lookout for articles that praise something and, you know, you just, you just find it as, you, as best you can.
but there's think, certainly a lot of crap out there too. I think I would love a TV series of the book Sphere by Michael Crichton. Yes, interestingly enough, when I when I read that book, I liked it very much, and there wasn't an audio book of it, so I read the entire novel on onto mm-hmm. audio. So just for my own entertainment. So if you go to Mr. Sci-Fi, there's actually the entire audio book of Sphere read nice. by me. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's a, it's wonderful. It was made into a, a very a very weak movie years ago, but it's mm-hmm. a, a very very fun story. And uh, I'm a huge fan of underwater science fiction. I love the abyss, the full, the director's cut of the abyss, not not the theatrical release, which really doesn't do it credit. But mm-hmm. uh, but you know, yes, I agree with you 100 percent, absolutely. So we all have something that is close to our heart at at some point. What is a project of yours that is close to your heart that is a little less known? Well, Space Command, obviously, you know, because that's, I mean, it's this big arcing story and it's all in my head now. And, you know, it's like I can't wait to shoot it and share it with everyone. In fact, we, have, we had a production meeting this morning to discuss uh, our shooting schedule for June and July. And, um, but also um, behind me, there are um, three novels, Magic Time, the, three, the Magic Time trilogy. I came up with this idea for what if all the machines in the world stopped running and magic came back and certain people turned into the archetypal mythical creatures that their nature um, dictates. And uh, so it was a very fun idea. We wrote it as a pilot, Elaine and I, to our pilot. And I wrote roles for Armin Shimmerman in it and my friend went for my friend, Christina Moses. And um, uh, it was optioned eight times. Eight different companies wanted to make it into a series. It didn't get made, so I sold it as a trilogy of novels. Those hit the bestseller list, and then we did a radio play that uh, Skyboat Media has has released, and we're going to make it as a TV show. That's 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 sort of on the on the docket. But the uh, but it's just a very epic, fun story with wonderful characters, and I'm I'm eager to do it. So you know that's that's one of my you know to do list uh, um, items. All right. So going through, Mark, going through your list of credits on IMDb, I was looking through some things and there was there's one that actually really kind of caught my attention because it's something I hadn't heard of before. Yes. And doing some research, uh, you were involved in Star Trek Phase Two, The New Voyages, yes. which is supposed to be the 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 section that picks up after the original five year voyage of the yes. of the Enterprise crew stories about characters from the original series. Yes. So. How did you get involved in that series and what did working on a project like that mean for you? Well, this is this is the fascinating thing. I, I just wrote a book called Greenlighting Yourself, um, which just came out. There it is, Greenlighting Yourself. And it um, it basically tells anyone how they can become a writer, producer, director, actor, anything in the industry successfully using all the new tools that are available to us. You don't have to wait for the studio or the networks anymore. And because um, when I was starting out, they were the only game in town. If you wanted to reach an audience of millions of people, you needed a studio, a network. Um, it cost millions of dollars to make anything. Uh, if you wanted to be a successful author, you needed a publisher. None of that is true anymore. And so um, let's see where to start with this. It's fascinating. And by the way, if, one, if someone wants to watch the episode that I co-wrote and uh, directed and executive produced of, World, uh, of Star Trek New Voyages slash Phase 2, uh, it's on the landing page of Mr. Sci-Fi. It stars George Takei and Grace Lee Whitney and Majel Barrett and Christina Moses, who's brilliant in it. And um, it was nominated for the Hugo and the Nebula and won the TV Guide Awards. So uh, I'm very proud of it. Here's what happened. I was on, a, just when Enterprise was like ending, uh, the fans hadn't really uh, responded to it. it. It was canceled after four seasons instead of the seven that they had planned. Uh, and this is just before JJ mentioned he was going to be doing the movie, right? 
So I was at a, on a panel at a science fiction convention with various people from the various iterations of Star Trek. Walter Koenig was on the panel and they asked what was the future of Star Trek as we saw it. And Walter was about to go to upstate New York and film an episode of him playing Chekhov written by DC Fontana, who had story edited the original series and written great episodes of it. And there were some fans in upstate New York who had gotten the, the blueprints for the Star Trek sets, the original Star Trek sets, had built them all and were making wow. their own Star Trek episodes, full hour long Star Trek episodes, which they were putting up online and they were getting more views than Enterprise was getting on, on Paramount, you know, the Paramount Network, UPN. And so this, I said, so after the panel, I sat down with Walter for about an hour and I said, tell me everything. And he told me that information. Now, so that night I went home and I watched uh, one of the episodes and the, the acting wasn't quite at the level of a professional production and they were shooting mini DV, which was not a professional uh, format, a uh, lower resolution, but the sets were great, the costumes, the, the spirit of it was, they, their hearts were in the right place and the visual effects were being done by the same guy who was working on, on, on Enterprise, who was doing visual effects shots for Enterprise. So I thought, oh, wow. I, it was like being handed a tool that I knew how to use. And so I thought, <laughs> well, I can bring this up where I want it to be. And um, because I thought this is a great opportunity. So back in the seventies, they were gonna bring, Paramount was gonna bring Star Trek back as a series. Uh, it was called Star Trek phase two. And they got all of the cast together, except for Leonard Nimoy. He was suing the studio for over merchandising rights. And so they cast another actor to play a Vulcan called Zahn, but it was gonna be the continuation of the Star Trek storyline. And they got, they got Shatner, they got everybody. And they spent a year buying scripts and developing and building sets and doing screen tests. And then Star Wars came out. And when Star Wars came out, Paramount said, well, we're not gonna do a TV series, we're gonna do a movie. And all of that went into making Star Trek The Motion Picture, which came out in 1979. They'd been working on Star Trek uh, phase two in 76, 77 or so. So, okay. So at that time, my friend, Michael Reeves, who uh, later won an Emmy for Batman the Animated Series, and he wrote for Star Trek The Next Generation. He was a dear friend. He's the writer who got me into TV in the first place on Smurfs and all those other shows, He-Man, Super Friends. And uh, he had pitched back in 1977, he had pitched an amazing Sulu story to Star Trek phase two of the Paramount version. And uh, it was where Sulu gets marooned on an alien planet and raises a family. And it's all in the wink of an eye on the enterprise. And I thought that's a great story. So I called Michael <clears throat> when I learned about what these boys in Ticonderoga were doing up in upstate New York. And I said, hey, Michael, you want to do that, that episode with me? And he said, sure. So I called the guys in New York, James Cauley, who was playing Kirk and was sort of the, the power the, 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 of the throne. And uh, I said, look, I want to do this episode. Michael and I have both written for Star Trek The Next Generation, and I'd want, but I'd want to shoot it on high def. And, uh, and I'd have to insist on, I, I'd want to direct it. And they said, fine, if you can get the equipment, fine. So then I, so then I, um, Went to George Takei. I typed up. I I made some changes in the storyline because they had done a, a next gen episode called The Inner Light, which had certain similarities. So I wanted. I moved this story entirely onto the Enterprise, and I, I I made it more about Sulu and his daughter, and um, and so yeah. So I spent. I went to George Takei. I typed up a one page storyline. I said, "This is the great Sulu episode you never got got to have." And uh, I need you to read this right now and tell me if you'll do it. And he read it in his house, in, you know, and, uh, and he said, yeah, I'm in. And so then I spent six months building a production team. All of the department heads were from Hollywood, from my world. And, uh, and then my wife and I went 
to up, upstate New York, did sort of did um, some acting exercises with their cast because we I knew we were going to be using sort of their their main cast, but I could but George Takei was going to be in it. And I cast Christina Moses in it as the daughter, and I got Major Barrett and Christine, uh, you know, and um, Grace Lee Whitney to do it. And and then it was a year of post production. There were seven hundred visual effects shots. But while we were shooting in upstate New York, I said, and and Ian McCaig, who designed Darth Maul, designed our characters as well. And I said, but while we were shooting, I said to George Takei, I said, look, a year from now, we're going, you and I are going to be standing on a stage at the World Science Fiction Convention in Japan. We'll be screening this, and then we'll be answering questions. I'll be in, talking in English. You'll be talking in Japanese because he's fluent in Japanese. And uh, and I said, a year after that, we'll be nominated for the Hugo. And that's exactly what happened. And it was the first film or TV show nominated for Hugo that was not made by the studios or the networks. So that's awesome. Was, was revolutionary yeah and uh so and as i say if you go to mr sci-fi right on the landing page there's a picture of george decay if you click on that you can watch the entire episode uh sweet and, excellent yeah, really cool i'm very proud of it but what it showed me to complete the quest the answer is it showed me that you could make something of a network quality without a network and that you could distribute it on the internet and get more viewers than a network show could get or might get and that so then the so that led directly to space command because I thought the only missing piece was raising the money because if I could raise the money and actually someone had given me a hundred thousand dollars when I was making world enough in time. And that I put that into production, um, post-production specifically, but, um, but so I realized that you didn't need a studio or a network anymore. And that, so that led directly to what I'm doing now. Excellent. That's awesome. I, I'm going to have to go back to your, your page. I want to check out that episode. I didn't get a chance to see that yet. I didn't realize it was on there. Yeah, I was going to ask you where to be able to watch it, but now that I know, I'll be watching that later tonight. Yeah, it was. I'm very proud. I'm as proud of that as anything I've done, and uh, it's it's a very moving story. I think I it's it's very, I, I you know I love it. I've obviously, and Christina Moses, that was her first um, acting ever in film or TV, and now she's a lead on a series on ABC, A Million Little Things, and so, so finally, you know, Hollywood recognized her astonishing talent, and uh, and I'm very proud of that. She's in Space Command as well. Interestingly, awesome. Enough. Yeah. All right, cool. So we have a Facebook group, and yeah. it is just filled with memes. <laughs> and we got about 203,000 203, members. Wow. And you've written a broad range of sci-fi and a bunch yeah. of different stuff. Yes. So what two sci-fi universes would you like to see a crossover between? Okay, well, first of all, tell your 203,000 um, um, fellows to uh, sign up to subscribe to Mr. Sci-Fi <laughs> because I promise you that everything they're interested in, there's a point where I talk about it. Uh, the only thing I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable about is, about is anime, but every other aspect of science fiction, fantasy, and horror I'm extremely knowledgeable about. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I even do a, a history of science fiction. Um, the thing that actually came to mind was the, my favorite mashup of two... Um, franchises ever was was not one that I did, but the one that my friend Barbara Hambly did. I, uh, Barbara Hambly is a very well-known science fiction writer. She's written Star Trek novels and so forth. And, uh, and I wrote the first Magic Time novel with her. Well, when, when, she, was, when she was established as a, as a novelist, as a fantasy and science fiction novelist, her editor came to her and said, well, you know, we're going to be taking over the Star Trek novels. And if you have something in a drawer, like if you've ever written a Star Trek novel, even if it was just for yourself, we, we want to read it. And she said, well, there's one I wrote when I was a teenager, when I was like 16, but you couldn't possibly publish it. And what it was, on the original Star Trek, there was an actor named Mark Leonard. He played a Romulan commander and then he ended up playing Spock's father. He was wonderful. He had a great gravitas. And, and 
Barbara loved the original Star Trek. And then at the same time, there was a, a far lesser known show called Here Come the Brides, which was set in the 19th century in a, in a lumber uh, town uh, that, in, that was in like the Washington state. And they, they have a bunch of male order brides come to the town to have wives. And Mark Leonard starred in that show too. And so teenage Barbara thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to have the Enterprise go to that town? <laughs> so she wrote a mashup between Star Trek and Here Come the Brides. So her editor read the book and said, we'd like to buy this. And she said, well, you know, I don't own the rights to Here Come the Brides. You'll have to acquire the rights. And they said, oh, of course, of course, of course. And uh, so they published the book. They didn't acquire the rights, so they got sued. And Barbara was named in the lawsuit. And fortunately, she had a paper trail that showed that she had warned them. And so she was taken off the lawsuit, thank God. And they had to pay whoever owned the rights, you know, the money. But I thought that was that was very, very funny. Hmm. Um, in terms of mashups, gosh, I'd have, to, I'd have to think. You know, it's like, I, well, I actually do know. The mashup I'd like to see, it would be the Orville Strange New Worlds mashup. That's the one. <laughs> That's the one I want to see. So that could be that could be very interesting. Yeah, because because Orville season three is I think going to really step up in terms of production and and dramatic weight to really go toe to toe with Strange New Worlds. That's my my guess, and uh, mm. because that's what they're they're it looks like they're doing. So, um, but that would be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot of fun. All right, very good. Well, Mark, we're at a point in the show where we like to take our guests through a little bit of a quiz. <laughs> okay. All right, this trek. See what I did there? Is brought to you by Star Trek. And it's all about <clears throat> Star Trek. So anyway, okay. all right. So I'm, I'm going to stop now before I get too far down a rabbit hole of just using the word Trek wherever I can. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. So it's a four question quiz. All the questions are multiple choice. If you get three out of the four questions correct, we wanted to uh, send you this book, which is called wow. Custodians of the Cosmos, which, written by Drayton Allen. Now, it's all about a young man who joins something quite like Starfleet, but not Starfleet, you know, for litigious reasons. Yeah. Um, anyway, he uh, washes out of the of their academy and rejoins as a custodian to boldly clean up after those who have boldly just went. Yes, yes, that's funny. Okay, so we'll send you that book if you get that right. However, if you get less than three answers right, yes, we take a picture of you, we make a meme out of you, and we put you in our into our Facebook group. We call it our fun sequence. Okay, great. Okay. I thought you were going to say if I lose that you send me two copies of the book. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. you know, that could be discussed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, if you agree to those terms, we'll have Nick get us started with the questions. Yep, yep, yep. You bet. Which Star Trek captain has an artificial heart? Is it Kirk, Picard, or Janeway? Gosh, I'm going through the episodes in my head. Um... I'll guess Picard, but I really don't know the answer to that one. You are correct. It is Picard. Okay. That's a good, that's a good guess. There you go. All right. Well, it's because he was Borgified. So I figured out, you know, maybe there's that would have something to do with it. But okay. Continuing on. Solid Question logic. Number two. What species known to the Borg as species 329 were deemed unworthy of assimilation? Hmm. The Kazon, the Tribbles, or the Klingon? These are interesting questions. Um, <laughs> Well, I would guess maybe the Kazon? I don't know. That is actually correct. Wow. 
I am now really? imagining Borg Tribbles, though, and it's hilarious. <laughs> I would, I would, I would, I would watch that that episode absolutely. It's like it's like the the rabbit in Monty Python that flies yes! your neck and tears out your jugular. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Cool. Data. Great. No, Data has a cat. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> what is that cat's name? Fluffy, Spot, or Button? Spot. Yep, I had a cat, Fluffy, <laughs> interestingly enough, but yeah, no, I, that one I actually did know. You bet. All right, that gets you the book. Yay, winner, winner, winner. <laughs> All right, and just for fun, and to see whether or not you can completely destroy Tim's quiz, what okay. future Starfleet captain survived the Battle of Wolf 359? Hmm. That Cisco, Janeway, or Archer? My guess would be Cisco. You are correct, and you destroyed Tim's quiz. There you go. Good. And I, I actually tried to grab what I thought were harder questions for this. <laughs> Those were, except for yeah. except for Data's cat. The rest. I have to. I throw. I try to throw three hard yeah. questions and I, and one softball in there just just in case. <laughs> give try to give everybody a chance to win, yeah. but you kick the crap out of my quiz. Well done. That was fun. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. That was really good. The like um Star Trek you know, writer or something. Yeah. No. It's 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 good. I mean, it's funny because the one. The only series I'm really, really, really strong on is the original Star Trek, of course, because I watched that as a kid and rewatched it and rewatched it and all of that. Um, the other ones less so, or at least more, more spottily, sporadically, you know. But, uh, but it's, uh, but it's, it's amazing how much you know really great material they they came up with. You know, the, the fascinating mm -hmm. thing about coming up with Star Trek stories is you really have to be aware of so many hundreds, if not thousands, of storylines that they've done. So, and then what you're always looking for is what haven't they done? What do I know about? Or what 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 viewpoint can I bring to it that has a, um, a very meaningful storyline that I can uh, expand that universe with? And that's that's all. It's a great challenge to find something emotionally very truthful. Um, it's it's. It, I'm very proud of the work I was able to do for those guys. As you should be. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your works? You can go to Mr. Sci-Fi, that's S-C-I hyphen F-I, Mr. Sci-Fi on YouTube. And uh, that will lead you to all the other tributaries to like, you know, uh, get stuff or find out more. But that's that's the best place to go. And I have posted hundreds, if not thousands of videos at this point. And uh, it's been a joy every moment. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely link your YouTube so that our listeners can go find you. Thanks, guys. Well, I, well, yeah. well thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh you know, I, I hope you uh, continue to uh, to check out what we're doing on this end, and I think you'll really like it. And if you're ever in L.A., we'll give you a tour of the studio and even maybe put you in a space suit and turn a camera on you. Woo All right. Cool. All right. One quick reason to go to L.A. <laughs> there you go. Uh, subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Mark Zickery here today to have funny moments and these great conversations to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps us to grow, helps us to get more guests. And we want to make sure that you go over and check out Mr. Sci-Fi on YouTube as well. Check out Mark's work there. There's a lot of cool stuff. I will be on there for hours later tonight. My wife will be thrilled. <laughs> However, if you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is the Borg. We understand that they don't always involve the Queen, but when she does get involved, just know that it is just simply not your day. However... Keep that in mind when you do cho choose to report us to the Borg. Perhaps go a little bit easy on the details and spare us in assimilation. A simple reprimand will do just fine. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I would go Borg. <laughs>
never mind. <laughs> Thanks so much oh. for joining us, Mark. Thanks. It's, it's been it's been great fun, and uh, I, I always love talking about these things because uh, I think we all are who we are because of of science fiction, and uh, it's a big tent and allows a lot of great people inside it, and uh, and it makes you better as a, as a human being, I think, and I'm very grateful to, uh, to absolutely science fiction. So, and thanks, guys. I've really enjoyed our talk. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. That's going to conclude it here for the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Goodbye. Bye. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF Podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Podcast or go to www.fsfpodcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode.